Jesus, He prays for the strangers and He prays for uh, the priest and He prays for the musicians and He prays for everybody else. But then, towards the end of what would eventually be the end of His prayer, Solomon gets to talking about those among the church that may struggle. And he said, if they sin against thee, mind you, Solomon standing in the temple praying right now, if they sin against thee, for there is no man which sinneth not, and thou be angry with them, and deliver them over before their enemies, and they carry them away captives into a land far off or near, Yet if they bethink themselves in the land where they're carried captive and turn and pray unto thee in the land of their captivity, saying, We have sinned, or we have done amiss, or we have dealt wickedly. Let me just give you all of that. He said if they sinned, or if they've just been careful, or if they just got a nasty attitude, if they return with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity and pray towards their land, towards the city which thou hast chosen and the house which I have built for thy name, then hear thou from the heavens, even from thy dwelling place, their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause and forgive thy people which have sinned against thee. And while Solomon is still praying, something starts happening in the spirit world. In response to Solomon's prayer, we see God's response in the very next chapter, the first verse of the next chapter, when he says, Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the house. It's God's design and it's my intention to minister to this congregation, this congregation tonight about the power of an imperfection. The power. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. How many in here is perfect tonight? No, not one. No, not one. Well, then it looks like I get to preach to you tonight because I'm going to preach about the power of an imperfection. Shall we pray right now? Lift your hands to the Lord and ask God to anoint this preacher. Ask God to anoint my mind and my heart and my spirit. Jesus is a rock in a weary land. And when I'm weak, He holds my hand. God bless you. You can be seated. I'd start this message tonight before I ever delve into the meat of the message by acknowledging that even the title seems to be a complete oxymoron. Now, an oxymoron is not a person. 
An oxymoron are two words that are opposites. And it's just not normal to speak about power and imperfection in the same sentence. In fact, our society has somewhat taken the approach that imperfect is synonymous with undesirable. Imperfect is equivalent with unwelcome. Our society looks at imperfect as being equated with lacking value. Now, it was a few nights ago that I made that dreaded trip that every man that's on a diet hates to make. That's when I had company, and they wanted Krispy Kreme donuts. A fat man on a diet does not want to go in Krispy Kreme donuts when the sign says hot and fresh. And we went in and we began to watch them donuts go through that machine. I don't know if you've ever been to Krispy Kreme donuts, but if you've got an appetite, you owe it to yourself. You go in and they got this little gizmo down at the beginning where they put dough in and spits it out, a little round piece of dough and runs it through the grease and fries the donut and then runs it through this little double layer of icing and felt something there. We watched the hot, fresh donuts roll off the assembly line through the press that punched out that round mounds of dough into the, the grease that turned them into the perfect golden brown and carried them into the warm, drizzling sugar glaze that completes the process. It was amazing to me how many donuts that thing could produce in such a short time. But I would go on the record to tell you that it blessed my soul to see so many donuts come out of there still hot, still fresh, and into the hands of people that knew how to appreciate a Krispy Kreme donut. But then I saw that little woman do something that was just shy of blaspheming the Holy Ghost. I watched this woman walk around on the other side as the donuts come around. And to my amazement, I watched her take her hand and, go, and smash one of those donuts. That's disgraceful. And I watched her pick up another donut and put it in her hand. And another donut. Until one by one this chick began to pull them donuts off that assembly line. And mash them, I'm telling you, people like that will go to hell forever. Mash them up into just little unfortunate blobs of sweet dough. And threw them into a big trash can sitting there. And I watch this chick begin to smash these things one right after the other. I could smell them. I could see them, could almost taste them. It was wonderful, folks. I'm telling you, it's wonderful. It's an experience everybody in this life needs to have before you go to heaven. And I, I watched this woman smash them in her hands and throw them away. That bothered me. 
obviously for more than one reason. But I, I inquired as to why anybody could be so cruel and inhumane and heartless as to slash them beautiful donuts. And I was simply told that they did it because they weren't perfect. Everything looked all right, but evidently, they said, there must have been an air pocket in the dough that some of you women that bake I'd understand that, that the air pocket was there and it didn't fill upright. They said it could be anything from an uneven appearance. It was sticker on one side and the other. That wouldn't have bothered me. They said it could even be that it had too much glaze on it. Folks, that is not a problem. But in their mind, it was an issue. So they took them off. Because they weren't perfect, they threw them into the trash can as something useless. Surely you know what I'm talking about. There's a reason why those outlet stores some of you women like to go to have imperfect items at a drastically reduced price. Don't answer the question or not, but I bet you a bunch of y'all have bought them imperfect undergarments. Might as well. You ain't going to see no snag in your t-shirt. Only time it gets bad is if you get like, and I did one time, somebody gave me some undershirts that were supposedly imperfect. Fit me like a glove up here, but came down to about right there. Either that or if you get a pair of underwear that only has one leg. There's a very select crowd that can wear that kind of stuff. But there's a reason why they can be attained cheaper on the imperfect racks. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Realistically, you know as well as I do that most of the time you don't even know why they're called imperfect. I've bought them before. I went in, there was a suit place in, in Lexington, Kentucky that I used to love to go to when I evangelized in the area. And, and it was a, a mill outlet and somewhere they had a snag in that suit. Fine suits. But somewhere they got a bad piece of material or there was a, a discoloration in one thread somewhere. And most of the suits that I wore in those days came from there because mainly they were cheap. And secondly, I never could find the imperfections. But in the eyes of the world, they weren't as valuable as the others. Does anybody in here know what I'm talking about today? We don't even know why some of them are called imperfect, but they are. And because they aren't perfect, they aren't worth much to an open market of our society. Our magazine covers are filled with people that our society considers to be beautiful, but you don't see too many people advertising products that lack the finely defined figure that some of those women have or the, the chiseled physique of what our society calls beautiful men. That model can have the nastiest disposition, the most putrid attitude, but because she has what society considers a beautiful figure, she's promoted to the magazine covers. That man can be given, as many of them, and I would say most of them are, to perversions like homosexuality. But yet, because they've got those chiseled good looks and his profile is attractive, He's pushed to the top, and yet there can be those that have wonderful personalities and live moral lives. 
that are minimized to some extent in our society because some physical attribute is not exactly perfect. Maybe their nose is a little big or... Or just maybe their eyebrows don't look like everybody else's eyebrows, but because of that, they're not the perfect people and they're minimized. I've simply come tonight to tell you that it's the nature of our society to minimize and devaluate what we seem to consider as imperfect. Now, don't misunderstand me right now. I didn't say that it wasn't natural. Nobody wants to go buy a new car with scratches down the side. Nobody wants to purchase a new house wherein every room leaks. Nobody wants to pay full price for a half-price item. Nobody wants to go to a restaurant and sit down and order a meal and it come out there and it's nasty and rancid and rotted. Nobody wants that. So I'm not saying that it's not altogether natural. What I've come to do today is to remind you that because it's such a part of our nature to minimize things that are imperfect, if we are not careful, we can carry that out of the natural world and we can carry it into the spiritual world. Because our nature tells us that imperfection isn't worth as much as perfection. It's easy sometimes for those that come into the church to look at their spiritual lives and see imperfections in their walk with God and think that they're not as valuable to the kingdom as those that are out there dancing and shouting are. It's easy to come to church and think that because they can look at their own lives and they know the temptations they've been fighting and they know the things that they've been dealing with with their husband or their wife or their children or their parents, that they think because of my situation is not perfect, that I am not as valuable to the kingdom and the structure of God's world. I've come tonight with a mission, and my mission tonight is this. I'm here to preach to those in this tabernacle that just aren't perfect. I'm here to preach to that man that still struggles to totally overcome that habit. I'm here to preach to that woman that hates it, but you still have to fight that tendency to gossip every now and then. I'm here to preach to that young person who's Temptation keeps you struggling spiritually in spite of the fact that you wanted to be so much more. I'm here to talk to that saint that's never quite conquered your temper in spite of the fact that you've tried time and time and time again. I'm here to talk to that child of God that's never really been released from the pride that hinders them. You can't shout like you want to. You can't pray like you want to. You can't respond to God like you want to. You can't respond to the preaching like you want. It's not that you don't desire it. It's not that you don't have that passion inside to do it. But somewhere you still fight that flaw in the fabric of your character. You still fight that flaw in the fabric of your emotions and somehow you come to church and you want to be more and you want to do more and you want to have more. But you find yourself stranded because you're looking at damaged goods. I don't mind being honest with you tonight and tell you that I'm not here for the flawless. I'm here for the flawed. I'm not here tonight to praise perfection, but I'm here tonight to minister to somebody's imperfection. 
I'm not here tonight to revere the perpetually right, but to rescue the sanity of the rest of us that struggle from time to time. I won't be a long time preaching tonight, so if you're waiting for the wagon to pass by, you ought to hear the wheels rattling right about now. I'm going to tell you it's in our nature to look at our imperfections as inferior or something of diminished value. But what you need to know is that while it is our nature, it's not God's nature that does that. It's important enough that you let me preach to this congregation that the God that I'm preaching about tonight said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are neither your ways, saith the Lord. It's our nature to see our imperfection as hideously inferior. But I've come to preach to you tonight that the thing we need to see that we see as inferior is sometimes the greatest vehicle of God's glory that there is. Before I get any further in my message, you might as well know that I know I'm going to make myself very vulnerable by preaching this message. I'm well aware that there are those that may try to find occasion against Brother White and say that I don't believe the message or I don't preach the message or I don't believe holiness or all that stuff. But I've got to tell you today, I'll willingly sacrifice what they say about me if I can find some of you in this house tonight that are struggling and you're fighting hell to even be in this building. I've got to help you rise above the heavy weight of the intimidation that some of you are being forced to live under in this house tonight. (coughs) Hear me well today when I tell you that not only is it probable that saints are going to struggle from time to time, but you need to know that it's absolutely necessary that saints struggle from time to time. Please hear me. You'll never understand that until I take you, uh, understand that statement until I take you into the context of Scripture. Let me take you back to the early church at Corinth. These are the ones, uh, these are the ones that heard the preaching and the teaching of the very apostles themselves. These are the ones that lived in a day where they very probably had laid their eyes on the man Jesus Christ and saw the works that He did and the things that He had accomplished. These are the ones that knew the works and the will and the ways of God from Jesus Himself and the twelve that He put it in their hands. These are the ones that knew all about God. This was the early church. This was the perfect church, Brother Coots. This is the one they were carving out of the rough. This is the one that was not perverted by tradition. This is the one that they carved out. They were there and the Bible said, Surely, if a church should have been perfect, it would have been them. Yet we hear the writers speak about a dissension among them by saying, first of all, I hear that when you come together in the church that there are some divisions among you. And I partly believe that, he said. Watch out now. They've heard the greatest teaching and preaching by the apostles themselves, but somebody in the church was less than they were supposed to be. I wonder if anybody's listening to me preach right now. you way too quiet to have been up bucking and shouting a minute ago. In fact, Paul addresses the flawed feature in that select group of individuals who were at odds, and he goes so far as to say, I partly believe it. I don't have a hard time believing that some of you have failed to be everything you're supposed to be. I, I, I just don't have a hard time believing that, Paul said. And I want to tell you why. Somebody say blemished. Say flawed. Say imperfect. 
I'm going to preach to you tonight that even in a good church, it's easy to be blemished and it's easy to be flawed and it's easy to be imperfect. But before you write them off, you better remember something that I think we better take a better look at tonight in the following verse. It's famous what it says, but so many times it's famous for all the wrong reasons. Paul said, I don't have a problem believing that there's some in the church that are flawed. But what you need to know is that that sometimes it's necessary that they have those flaws. Can somebody say amen? Now for years I've heard them preach. They said, therefore there must be heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. For years I've heard them take that Scripture and I've done it myself. And we've said there's got to be some no-count scoundrels that attack the church. There's got to be some of those reprobating minds that tear at the church so that those that have it in their heart can stay strong and stay firm and stay sure in their walk with God. But I might surprise you tonight that I've come to challenge that mentality in the pulpit tonight. The Bible said there must be heresies among us that they which are approved may be made manifest. When you hear the word heresy, our minds are taken to the common interpretation that refers to reprobated minds that are trying to pervert the truth of God's Word. But when you study what Paul is saying here, he speaks of a few troubled individuals in that church. And he said there must be heresies among you. If you study the original word in this one. It simply is pronounced the same way as heresies. But it means that there must be some disunion among you. There must be some imperfections among the church. Oh, I wish somebody would hang on to me now. Give me that mic. Church fights from time to time. Hang on to me. He said there's got to be some imperfections. There's got to be some things that the church fights from time to time. These particular individuals were not referred to as reprobated minds trying to pervert truth. But he was simply saying that these people are in the midst of a great church, but they found themselves less than perfect. They were imperfect people in the midst of a great church. They were flawed followers of God in the midst of a faithful congregation. They were the factory second saint in a first-rate church. But I've got to make you see what the Apostle Paul has to say about these imperfect saints. He said there must. It's necessary that there be some imperfections among the church from time to time. Why, Brother Paul? Paul said it's necessary so that they which are approved can be made manifest. And here's where the breakdown comes. And I feel my help coming right now. Here's where the breakdown comes in our minds. We're quick to look at the verse and say there's got to be some imperfect saints so the rest of the saints can be proven to be good saints. And we differentiate between the two classes of people, those that are imperfect and those that are approved. But I would take you back to a better understanding of the Scripture tonight when it speaks of those that are approved and say they are the which simply means that they have godly reasoning and have maintained a right spirit. I want to tell this congregation that I do not believe that God was saying it's necessary to have flawed saints in the church so that we can see the rest of the saints and realize that they're all okay. I think that God erased the differentiation. And God was saying there is no difference. I'm talking 
talking about what in the same. Oh, somebody ought to help me a little. I think Paul was saying I'm talking about what in the same. He was saying every now and then it's necessary for good saints to struggle with imperfections so I can see if they still have the right spirit. So I, so I can see if they still have that passion to come back to me every now and then. It's important that saints struggle. It's important that saints find weaknesses because I want to know if they know how to fight their way back to me. Oh, somebody better listen to this preacher today. He said this church has got some imperfections. But that's all right, God said. I'm not worried about their weakness right now. I'm not worried about their struggle right now. I'll tell you what I'm worried about. Do they still have godly reasoning? And do they still have a right spirit that knows how to fight their way back into the flow of my presence? I have to preach to somebody in this house tonight that whether you know it or not, there comes a time in your life that imperfection has to touch your world so God can know what you're made of. Are you listening to me now? No, don't you ever make the mistake to think that God knows what you're made of just because you're dressed right and just because you live the standards of a church. God created you with a human power of choice. And every now and then God's got to shake your little world up and He's got to let temptation crawl in and He's got to let weakness show up. God does that for one reason and one reason alone. He said, I want to know if they've got what it takes to fight their way back. If that's not true, somebody listen to this preacher. God created you with the power of choice. And every now and then, God's got to rock your boat to see if He can make sure you'll still choose Him and you'll still choose His ways and you'll still choose what's right in spite of everything that's wrong in your world. Be seated, please. If that's not true, then explain to me why God allowed the perfect world of Job to be touched with painful imperfections until Job finally come to the place that he said, Naked came I into the world, and naked I shall return. You want to know what he was saying? Let me paraphrase it in wildology. He said, When I came out of the womb, I didn't have nothing. And if I ain't got nothing, you can bet this much. I'm going back to God. I'm not going to lay down the fight. Job was saying, if I lose it all, I still choose to live for God. If I lose my family, I choose to live for God. If I lose my money, I choose to elabosha. If I lose everything that I got, I still choose the church. I still choose to he said, if I lose it all, I still choose the church. What I'm preaching tonight's true. Then understand. If it's not true, explain to me why God allowed the picture-perfect world of Abraham and that promised boy to be challenged by frightening imperfection when God told Abraham, Take now thy son, thy only son whom thou lovest, and I want you to offer him up as a burnt offering on Mount Moriah. Mind you, it was the same God that sees all. It was 
the same God that knows all. But God said, Abraham, I gotta know. Would you love me if things were going wrong? Would you love me if things weren't right? Would you love me if what you desired didn't come to pass? Would you love me? And the Bible tells us that while the gleaming sword of Abraham began to come down, the angel stopped the plunging blade of death and said, Abraham, don't hurt the boy. Now I know that you'd still choose me above everything else. I you'd still choose me in spite of all your struggles. I've come today to tell you that God saw that spirit in Abraham and said, Abraham, I know now. I didn't know family. I didn't know before your imperfection. I didn't know before your struggle. But now I know. Now I know that you choose me above all in your world. Clap your hands and love the Lord right now. Please be seated. I'm in this pulpit tonight to elevate the hearts of imperfect saints in here by reminding you of the power of an imperfection. I'm going to be honest with you. I really don't think that we're going to get to the end of this sermon tonight. I really don't think that I'm going to say amen on this message tonight because I'm preaching to so many of you in here. You need to be reminded of the power of an imperfection. God sent me to tell you that it's high time that you realize your struggles don't devaluate you in God's eyes. He sent me to remind this congregation that He didn't call you to be perfect. He called you to be pure-hearted. And that means every now and then, God's got to let you walk through a little trouble. He's got to let you walk through a little struggle. He's got to let that temptation touch your life to see if you still have that spirit that says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than worldly faith. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. Every now and then, God intentionally lets you walk through those times. You can be seated. Every now and then, Sister Marvel Ann, you need to hear this tonight. He lets you walk through those times when you don't feel what you're supposed to feel. He lets you walk through those times where you don't see what you want to see. We talked about the other day, I've got a revelation for some of you. Every now and then God does that because God is simply saying, i got to know you've been living for me. You've been walking with me. And I've been good to you, but if troubles come your way, if struggle walks into your world, are you walking by feelings or are you walking by faith? Every now and then God wants to know, can you still reach for me when you're imperfect? Can you still love I'm in the Holy Ghost tonight. I need somebody in here to hear this preacher. Don't you misunderstand anything that I'm saying tonight. I'm not saying that God wants you to sin a thousand times. No. Again, God doesn't want you to sin. But He knows that your flesh, and if flesh gets weak, sin is going to be a factor. But God wants to know if you slip and if you fall into sin, does your spirit still know how to come to church anyway? Does your spirit still know how to reach out for the altar anyway? 
I'm not saying that God wants you to struggle with habits and God wants you to have hideous temptations never in a million years. But because He's God, He knows those times are going to come. And when those times do come, God waits in anticipation. And He says, I want to know what you're going to do now. I know what you're doing a good time, but I want to know what you do now. I know what you're going to I know what you're going to do when I'm blessing you. But I want to know what you're going to do when you don't feel the blessings. I know what you're going to do when everything's all right. But what are you going to do when everything's all wrong? No! I'm not giving you a license to sin, but I am giving you a revelation that there are very few things in this world that move the heart of God like somebody that doesn't let an imperfection stop their pursuit of God. Oh, you better listen to this preacher tonight because I've come with a fresh word for you. I'm not giving you a license to sin, but I've come tonight to tell you there's very few things that will make God jump off His throne like somebody that comes to church and says, I'm not what I should be. I'm not what I could be. But I'm not going to sit here and fret about it. I'm going to get into this thing. I'm going to get into the flow. If I don't feel it, I'm still in it. If I don't see it, I'm still in it. If I don't have it, I'm still in it. Oh, somebody listen to me. I've come to preach about the power of an imperfection. And the power of an imperfection is that God stands to attention when somebody in the midst of a struggle reaches out for God. God says... It does for me what other things just don't do. Oh, I read something the other day, Brother Rusty. Turned my world upside down. I've been anxious to preach this message ever since I read it. I began to read the other day about the dedication of the Temple of Solomon. Son, you talk about a rascal that had a dedication. He slaughtered more animals, had more sacrifices. That man did it all, Brother Doyle. He had it all in there. You talk about a humdinger of a dedication. This was the dedication of the ages. Are you listening to me now? Let's talk about Solomon's temple. A bigger view of the picture shows us outside of the Scriptures I read to you tonight. It shows us multiplied thousands of animals were sacrificed on altars that day. The priests were all taken aside, Brother Keith, and they were rededicated for the service of the Lord. It tells us that a holy choir began to sing and the instruments joined in until the instruments and the singers were as one voice, the Bible said, in praising God and lifting Him up. And oh, it must have thrilled the heart of God. And then all of a sudden the doors opened up. And Brother Dale, they came carrying in the Ark of the Covenant. And they were carrying this Ark of the Covenant in. And God said, now you built for me a house of cedar. It'll be a place for all men to come. And the Bible said that they brought in the Ark of the Covenant. And they set it in the Holy of Holies. And it was pleasing to God. And Solomon began a passionate prayer. And he said, oh God, I remind you of the heritage that I have because of my father David. And God was pleased with David. And he said, God, I'm asking you to let the strangers find a place of worship in this house. And God must have been pleased with that. But he was still silent. And he said, now God, I want you to respect the efforts of the congregation and the things that they've done for your cause. All that they've sacrificed. Count it to them, God, is blessing. And said, you take care of them. 
And oh, it must have pleased God, but God was still silent. So passionate was this man's prayer that he begins to pray one thing after another. And without a doubt, God was pleased up to this point. But it's what happens next that you've got to see. Solomon suddenly begins to pray about those in the kingdom that are going to struggle and even fall in sin. And he tells God if they sin against you, for there's no man that sinneth not, and thou be angry with him. If you let them be carried away captive into a far land or a near land, yet if they'll turn and pray unto thee in the midst of their struggle, and they'll say we've sinned, or we've been careless, or we've had a bad attitude, he said if they return to you with their whole heart and with all of their soul, if they'll just turn their hearts back to the house that I've built for them, for you, he said I'm asking you to hear from heaven and maintain their cause and to forgive the people. And while the man was praying, Solomon is talking about those that are struggling. But he says, in God, if they'll turn their face back to you, if they'll keep their eyes on you, in spite of what they've done, and in spite of how they struggled, the Bible said there's something begin to happen in the heavenlies. And the Bible said that the fire came down from heaven, and it consumed the offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house, and the priest couldn't pre-minister because of it, because the glory of the Lord had filled. I'm here to preach to you tonight that God loves worship. I'm here to tell you God loves singing. I'm here to tell you God loves people that sacrifice. God loves visitors like we got here tonight. But there's nothing that makes God get off the throne like somebody that'll say, I'm not what I ought to be, but I'm going to give you all I got. I'll give you what's left. I wish somebody would lift your hands up and love the Lord right now. Hey, I'm preaching better than that. God's doing more than that. There ought to be something inside of you that begins to explode right now. I've come to preach about the power of an imperfection. I'll tell you where the rest of you aren't worshiping. Because you're saying, I'm flawed. I'm not where I need to be. I've come to tell you, if you understood what I was preaching, you're in the best position you can be right now because you'll get His attention. The Bible said, How willing would God have gathered sinners? Oh, He loves the lost. Oh, He loves those that are sick and afflicted. But He said, If they'll just turn to me, I'll draw them back. I'm here to preach to you that it shakes heaven and it moves God into action when somebody in the midst of their struggle makes a conscientious choice to keep preaching for God instead of giving up the fight. That's the power of an imperfection. You can be seated for just a moment and hear some of you sit tonight twiddling your thumbs because you feel like a factory second saint, but what you fail to realize is there sitting there is that your weakness is nothing more than an opportunity to show God how you're going to respond when you don't feel His presence. 
your struggle is nothing more than your greatest opportunity to let God know that you still know how to hold on to Him in spite of the other things that seem to be slipping through your hands. What you fail to realize tonight is that your imperfections are a prime opportunity to let God know that you still want Him if it means you lose everything else in your world. Pastor Watts, you don't understand. I'm flawed. I'm not everything I need to be. No, child of God. It's you that doesn't understand tonight. You don't understand that it means something to God when you still reach out for what's right in spite of everything that's going wrong. It still means something to God when you're reaching out and saying, I'm going to love Him. If my wife backslides, I'm going to love Him. If my husband fails God, I'm going to love Him. If I stumble in sin, I'm going to love Him. Please understand it was the Master Himself that spoke of the frailty of flesh when He said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But don't you ever forget that it was also God Himself that chose flesh to serve Him. He wasn't satisfied with eternal angels and mechanical worship by things that didn't have a choice. He craved adoration from somebody that had a choice. And just because your flesh starts reaching for fleshly things doesn't mean that God still doesn't want to know that your spirit is making a deliberate choice to serve Him. And that's why you need to pray when it isn't easy. And that's why you need to worship when you don't feel driven to worship. And that's why you need to be actively giving yourself to God when you don't feel like it. It's in your weakness that you have the greatest opportunity to tell God, I'm not doing this, God, because it's easy. I'm doing it because it's in my heart. And that's what makes Him get off the throne. And that's what makes the fire fall. You're not just going through the motions because it's a lifestyle. You're doing what you're doing tonight because you choose this over that. That's the spirit that God's looking for. That's what makes God say, Now I know, Brother Dorothy, that you'll serve me no matter. But don't you forget, that's the very same spirit that makes the fire fall in your world. I've come to be very honest with you today. I'm convinced the only thing that stops the fire of God from falling in more of our services is that God's waiting on those that struggle to say, I'm not going to start preaching just because I started fighting the enemy. I'm not going to stop loving God just because I'm walking through hell on earth. I'm not going to... You want to know what happens? <laughs> oh, I'm going to preach a little bit. Is that all right if I just preach a little bit here tonight? I want to tell you why we have those services where the fire begins to fall and why it started happening around here tonight. I've stopped you for one reason, one reason only. Because there's some in here that wouldn't have known what was going on. I want to tell you when the real fire of you want to know when the memorable services are. Let me tell you, okay? Everybody listen to Pastor. I want to tell you when the real fire of God begins to fall on a church. It doesn't fall just because those that always worship, always worship. It doesn't happen. I want to tell you when the fire of God starts falling. When you have that magical service. And you know what we remember about him, Brother Benjamin? We remember that sister so-and-so's been going through some, but son, she got victory tonight. We remember that that young person was on their way out, but my Lord, didn't they turn around tonight? We remember that the devil almost had Brother Doug Chapman, but he prayed through on an altar the other night. You see what I'm trying to tell you? What makes it memorable is that somebody that was imperfect said, I'm not going to let it stop me. I'm not going to let it slow me down. I'm not... Ah, somebody ought to dance a little bit right now. 
somebody you want the fire to fall I'll tell you how right here right now get a spirit inside of you that say I may not feel like it but my praise is my choice I may not have the perfect circumstances but I can reach for a perfect God I may not be in the best of conditions but I can reach for the best solution Hey, I'll tell you what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a spirit that makes God jump off the throne and into your midst. When you say, I choose to worship in spite of my struggle. I choose to pray in spite of my weakness. I choose to dance in spite of my battles. I choose to be faithful in spite of my... He'll step off the throne. He'll step off the throne. He'll let the fire fall. He wants to fall here right now. He wants to fall here right And all it's going to take is somebody that's not perfect saying, hey, I don't feel it, but I choose this. Oh, come on. He wants to do something here right now. I dare you to lift your hands up. But brother, what I've been feeling, get over it. I've been struggling, get over it. I need help, get over it. Hey, I'm preaching about the power of an imperfection. He'll stand up and take notice if you get your imperfect soul up and say, in spite of my struggle, I want you. You keep standing with me. I'm done preaching right now. No, I'm not making excuses for sin. If you sin, you need to repent. But I'll take it a step further. Some of you need to quit waiting on fleshly perfection to be used of God. When I don't have that habit anymore, when I don't have that desire to gossip anymore, when I don't have those thoughts, in, you better quit waiting on flesh to be perfect because Paul said, as long as I'm in the flesh, I've got to, you're always going to have flesh. God's greatest works have always been done. Oh, God, have mercy. I just, I just think I need to preach a little bit. God's greatest works have always been done by flesh that was imperfect. Who was it that led Israel out of Egypt? Oh, I know who it was. It was an imperfect Moses whose speech was stuttered. And he was so quick-tempered, he smite people. Who was it that brought salvation to a doomed Jericho? Oh, I remember. It was a harlot named Rahab that chose to believe in God more than fail, fail in her sins. Who was it that held the keys to salvation for an entire dispensation? Oh, that's right. It was that quick-tempered, foul-mouthed Simon Peter that preached on the day of Pentecost. I charge you to know he was flawed and sometimes he was foundering, but honey, didn't the fire fall? And 120 received it in an upper room, and 3,000 received it in the street. Why? Because somebody was flawed and said, I won't stop. I won't stop. 
I'll tell you what I'm preaching tonight. God has a way of honoring those that keep on going in the midst of their struggles. It seems that God presses His way into every situation when the flawed know how to stay faithful. I'm saying it again. Quit waiting on perfection to be used of God. If you only understood what I'm preaching tonight, it'd take away the intimidation of hell and the condemnation of your mind by realizing that sometimes God lets you walk there just so He can see what you're going to do. And all too often, unrealized by us, is what we become in God depends on how we react in the moments of our weakness. Can I preach just this much longer? I'm done. Keep standing. Hey, Paul! Did you ever struggle with your flesh? Paul said, I didn't just struggle. I have a thorn in my flesh. And it left a terrible imperfection in my life. It snagged the entire structure of what I wanted to do and be for God. Three times I sought God to take it away and leave me in a perfect condition to work for Him. But what you have to see is what happened next. The Bible tells us that God spoke to Paul. And you need to listen to what Paul said that God said. Read, Brother Stacy. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. Give that man a mic. Paul said, There's power in my... God said, Paul, there's power in your imperfection. You want to get rid of... You want everything to be perfect. But I want to tell you, sir, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. What do you think about that, Brother Paul? Listen to what Paul said. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory. Hey, I'll glory in my infirm I'll glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon that me. That the power of Christ may rest. I'm not going to lay down my passion because I'm blessed and perfect. I'll glory in spite of my trouble. I'll glory in spite of my weakness. I'll glory in Him. Therefore, I take pleasure in the infirmities. Paul said, I'll tell you what. I take pleasure in my struggle. Read. In the reproaches. In reproaches. In necessities. In necessities. In persecution. In persecution. In distresses. In distresses. For Christ's sake. Come what may, he said. I'm going to keep my joy. And it's going to stay for one reason. Read. your heart.